Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In reality, what we're looking at, at least over the next century or so, I would say, is not just this sort of sudden mass extinction event, but a slow and painful you know, collapse of our society. So really what I'm looking at is, well, how do we kind of continue some thread of who we are and what we are through that? You know, it, it's through whatever that is, that kind of dark age or uh, that 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 time in the desert, if you want to get Jewish about it. Uh-huh. You know, those two generations who have to live between the two civilizations. What does that look like? And, you know, and so far, I don't think we're thinking about how to wind down the civilization in the least catastrophic, the least painful ways. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Douglas, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I have known about your work for quite some time. In fact, I've quoted uh, your other books in my own books uh, and have been a big fan. So I've been really looking forward to this and talking about Team Human, particularly because these so concepts are so relevant to the world we live in. But before we get into all of that, uh, I would like to start by asking, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up in flat impacting the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Um, well, my uh, dad was a uh, an accountant originally. And um, it's funny, he kept turning down these opportunities to become kind of like really wealthy. Because, you know, accounting, it started out, you just do like bookkeeping for a, you know, a bodega, you know, or whatever the Jewish equivalent was of bodegas in the South Bronx in the 1950s. And um, then you work for one of these firms, like they, they had weird names then, like Leitersdorf and Ernst & Winnie. But now they're like the big financial firms have these, you know, they're famous, like, uh, 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 what are they called? Like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of these. There's like the big five firms and they do all the audits for um, yeah. like Booz Allen and uh-huh. things like that. And they're, and they're all zillionaires. Right, and right. Rather than going that way, he ended up, he um, did an audit for a hospital at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, and he found like $100,000 that they didn't realize they had in some account that there was some, someone, you know, crossed off the wrong thing off a sheet. So he found this $100,000 that they didn't know. And then they asked him to come be the controller there, which is like a, you know, a money counter person. And he just liked being in, you know, something close to the public health sector, you know, doing something that was sort of good for the world because accounting is is a dark art when it comes right down to it. You know, you're you're kind of trying to fool the government or fool the bank that you have something that you don't or that you don't have something that you do. And if you're going to do the dark arts of accounting, I mean, if there were no dark arts, you'd just have machines do it. It's creative. Um, mm-hmm. he, I think he figured he might as well do it for a good thing, like this hospital that's desperate, you know, for money to have have funding to give methadone to addicts and stuff. Um, so I think that influenced me in that I could, uh, uh, I couldn't bring myself to do a sellout profession that I had to do something that felt like it was for the public good or public service or, you know, not just cause I'm guilty, which I am, but, but because, uh, uh, I, I admired that. You know, my brother went into into the law, but he didn't become some rich lawyer. He works for, you know, the the the, the government trying to protect consumers from fraud and lies and stuff like those kind of fake contests and telemarketers. And so he's you know trying to use his legal skills to protect the public from bad. And I'm trying to use my my literary or or whatever skills these are to kind of you know make human beings more aware of the various systems and forces that are trying to control our consciousness. And uh, so I kind of see that coming from there. You know, my mom Mm -hmm. went to pharmacy school just because I guess it seemed cool, but she never became a pharmacist. She uh, became uh, in the long run, she became a psychiatric social worker doing like past life regression hypnosis with people. So I don't even know if that was real or not, but <laughs> you find out, you know, like some person who's suffering from asthma, they would go into a prior life and see that they were like being smothered under a, you know, a, a stack of furniture during the Russian Revolution. And once they experience all that, then they let it go and, you know, get to have an asthma-free life after that. So I don't know how many people it actually truly long-term worked on, but it's kind of esoteric, it's kind of occult in its yeah. in its weird way. Yeah, totally. 
so you know, uh, you mentioned you know growing up uh, in a Jewish family, I believe, and I, I wonder, you know, and I've asked this people to, I've had other people who are Jewish here on the show as well, you know, like as an oh, Indian good. kid, the, 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 some of your best <laughs> friends were even Jewish. I'm well, not the first so, Jew. I'm not the first unmistakably creative Jew on your show. I'm glad no, to know. All. Well, the, the, you know, the reason I, I I always wonder this with with people who have, you know, from what I've heard, growing up in a Jewish community is much not much different than growing up with Indian parents in that you're encouraged to pursue certain career paths. Uh, doctor, that, lawyer, doctor, yeah, lawyer, there you go. doctor, doctor, lawyer, engineer, engineer got added. <laughs> clean recently work, because, clean you know, work. I know yeah. we are. It's very similar. It's a real. It, it, but you know, we're we're don't tell Jesus, but J- Judaism's based on on Indian religion. You know. <laughs> it is. They that's where they got it. They went up there and they came back. You know, the Essenes and everyone else. They went to India and, and that's how they came to understand um their original understanding of of God or how to have a God that was kind of a top God but compatible. You don't have to get rid of all the other gods. I mean, uh-huh. later the Jews decided no, one God and one God alone. But for yeah. a long time, it had that sort of that much more I hate to use a word like this, but much more tolerant understanding of other gods as part of this great pantheon of gods, but your God is the best for you, you know, yeah. and, and everyone else is okay. Uh-huh. They got that. And they, the whole idea of an ap, of sort of the, the abstracting of, of God also they got from, from Indians, but wow. we don't, so, we don't give them credit. Yeah. Career advice wise, did your parents have the same sort of standard, you know, uh, Indian parent career advice? Of, oh yeah. You know, I was allowed secure. to You're go- a writer. I was allowed from 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 seventh grade. I found out that yeah. I could go to any college I wanted as long as it was Harvard, Princeton, or Yale, <laughs> and I could study anything I wanted in college as long as I finished the pre med requirements. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I figured they figured they were paying for this, and even if I was going to be some kind of weird theater person, that uh, uh-huh. that that that. I would always be able to still then just apply and go to medical school. So yeah. if I went to Harvard, Princeton, or Yale and had decent grades and all my pre-med requirements, then I could go do theater for three or four years, find out that it's a horrible life, and go back and become a doctor like I'm supposed to. My brother okay. became a lawyer. so <laughs> My sister became a doctor, so we had yeah, that in common. there you go. So doctor was free. Yeah. But uh, no, but then, I mean, I mean, they were worried about me for years, but, you know, after I kind of sold my first book book advance i think they realized yeah oh okay he's he's doing something there they you know they they're someone out there is recognizing that he's onto some something important yeah well we have, we both share that parallel journey as well <laughs> i think that both our parents probably would have the same story out of your parents check boxes how many of those did you actually check off cuz i went to berkeley which was not harvard princeton or yale but close enough as far as uh, my so i went to princeton and okay. i did all the pre med requirements by the sophomore year okay and then did not look back. So when did uh, the path to what you're doing today actually begin then? Depends. You know, it depends how you look at it. I mean, during my organic chemistry test in college, during one of my organic chemistry tests, I kind of stopped in the middle and wrote this letter to myself saying, I'm going to make a decision for you now. You know, you are just not going to friggin'. I stopped taking the test because I figured I would fail this test and then close that door to to my future. So I wrote this letter to myself about, uh, you know, you're going to go into theater or something creative. You can't do this to yourself. This is not your this is not your path. I mean, not that medicine's not creative, but at least the way I understood, just going and being a doctor um, was going to be a, a very sort of auto mechanic approach. It, mm-hmm. it was what was seemingly available to me. You know, become some kind of heart surgeon doing routine you know, uh, uh, surgeries is the way it looked to me anyway. Yeah. And, uh, so I wrote that letter to myself thinking, okay, now you're going to fail. And the funny thing was they graded that test on a curve and apparently I was really good in Oregon and it was so hard for other people. I ended up getting an A minus on this test that I had only done like the first two thirds or three quarters of before just stopping and writing this heartfelt note, you know, to myself as to the adult Rushkoff. It was really funny. Mm. So, what, but that was the turning point, and then I just yeah. decided it was all theater, you uh-huh. know. And and I did theater till really I was around thirty or so, and wow. um, it just started to feel it was really you know twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. I started to write, and then the uh, theater felt elitist and expensive, and uh, it felt somewhat limited to mm-hmm. 
stories that could be told with a kind of a beginning, middle, and an ending, very Aristotelian stuff and uh, very cathartic. And the internet was just happening and it seemed interactive and participatory and more egalitarian and open. And uh, so I just couldn't help but kind of pursue what was happening there as, you know, I was getting to to witness, you know, the dawn of a, of a new era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder how you navigate the periods of uncertainty in your life. Because Stephen Kotler and I have talked about this. He said, you know, basically for anybody who wants to make a living as a creative, he said there are basically three fail points. Either one, it's they can't endure the, the poverty and the uncertainty that come at the beginning, which sucks. Uh, there's no sugarcoating that. The next is he said, sometimes they just don't have the skills. And then he said the third one becomes actually adapting to the point where now you're getting paid to do this. It's no longer he, he told me this really interesting story about writing for Wired. And they're like, we want you to write in this specific way. And he was like, oh, I thought you wanted me to write however I you know, was writing. So he had to learn how to adapt. And I wonder in your own experience, uh, what did you find to be the challenges? How did you navigate them? And, and what would you tell other people uh, who are pursuing careers where, you know, I mean, this is, this is bad advice, right? So <laughs> um, I'm not adaptable. You uh-huh. know, I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person. I, I really am nice, but I mean, kind of with my work, I'm kind of an obstinate asshole, you know? And like in my first, writing gig it was for like zdnet or cnet or one of those early things i got some column that i was allowed to write weekly stuff on the net and it was like 3 to 100 or 500 bucks a column which was decent and they uh uh after i did 3 or 4 of them they said oh you know you're going to get more clicks cuz they were already starting to count clicks you're going to get yeah. more clicks if we start your piece you know like this rather than like that and it looked so, uh, or right about this rather than that. And I was just like, screw that, you know, I, goodbye. And it was like, wow, they made one, uh, from their, they made one request. And I was, I was like, bye. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's, that's a mark of inadaptability. But on the other hand, uh, my inadaptability is what, is what makes me valuable. My inadaptability was being the person at the beginning of the net to say, no, no, this way is wrong. The whole dot-com thing, this is bad. Don't put ads on websites. This is not going to work. No, Netscape, don't go public. You know, And getting laughed at and yelled at and losing work and all that, but staying so true to my you know, to my truth mm-hmm. about what this was, um, yeah. you know, by, by living and working from my values. Um, I feel like if you can really hold on to that, you know, through a few storms, mm-hmm. um, then eventually they come and they say, okay, you know, I was the guy whose book got canceled because I insisted that the internet was going to happen and the publisher thought the internet was going to be over by 1993 when the book <laughs> came out. Right? I was the guy that that got laughed out of out of so many editorial uh, meetings for talking about this idea I had called viral media, you know, mm-hmm. that that media was going to start spreading laterally like a virus through through new avenues of contagion, you know. Until, you know, and I write that book, which is also kind of derided uh, by many at the time, until eventually, you know, after the tipping point and Facebook and Instagram and people go, oh, I get it, right? This is viral media, isn't it? But you you know, if you're right enough, then eventually yeah. that obstinance kind of pays off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's true. Those, those first years... Those first years are scary. You got to take certain kinds of risks. I mean, again, it was a wealthier world in the '90s. Yeah. Even though we were in the recession and no one had jobs, it was a different. You could you could get by on less. You could uh-huh. get a job temping at night, typing for a law firm. You know, for forty bucks an hour, typing depositions of guys who lost their hands in printing machines or whatever it was, and and you'd have all day to think and write and do what you actually do. I think it's much more precarious now. Yeah. But 
you know, living through those times, you know, being able to do that, uh, uh, you know, and live on 8,000 bucks a year and keep trying, trying, banging, throwing stuff against the wall until something happens. Um, that, you know, it takes a certain kind of a madness, I guess, to, to submit to that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember talking to my friend, Jonathan Fields about this. He said, you know, cause I graduated business school, April, 2009. And I told him, I said, you know, like most people, the reason they end up on this path is because they find themselves disillusioned with some, you know, corporate job or whatever. And I was like, I think I got fired from every damn job I ever had. So to me, I was like, there was no alternative. <laughs> That's the only reason uh, I think I actually yeah. progressed. I would buy that though, as, as a truth. I mean, no. um, I think I think that's real that 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 your 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 incompatibility with that was was not some temperamental inability to do what was necessary mm-hmm. but was you know your values speaking through there's a certain point at which well wait a minute um what this company's doing is incompatible I mean with with your values if you're if you don't consciously stand against it then you're going to unconsciously sabotage yourself you know, and and once that subtext and text of your personality can meet, uh-huh. um, you know, great great things can happen. On the other hand, though, there are great people living with integrity, unbendingly, you know, and have been trained and have virtuosity at what they do, and are, you know, stuck in the Starbucks mm-hmm. for their for their income. It's it's. There is a certain amount of of luck in this, you know, and it's it's I won't call it grace. You know, grace would suggest that, you know, God rewards those who are somehow deserving of it. It feels way more random than this to me. It feels like some people unjustly don't get the kind of recognition they deserve. And then after enough years of that, they get kind of screwed up or mean or neurotic. And then, then there's a way of justifying it. You know, then you meet them and you go, Oh, well, I could see why they're not getting any talks yeah. or books It's because they're crazy. Um, but that's because of what they've had to endure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am always mindful of the fact that I feel like every one of these conversations that I have with a person like you, uh, and all the ideas we share is like, okay, these are relevant to people who are in a place of privilege. If you're a person who's literally working three jobs to put a meal on the table. I don't think you give a shit about meaning and purpose. Right. I had the luxury of Mount Sinai Hospital, where my dad worked, gave me a scholarship for college that would pay for the tuition of my college or graduate school as long as I didn't take a year off. Isn't that weird? Mm. Um, That was the rule. So I couldn't take a gap year or anything like that. So I went from college to Cal Arts, where I got an MFA in theater. And then I was like, well, shoot, if I stop going to school, I'm going to stop getting that money. So then I went to AFI, American Film Institute, and got another degree in film. (laughs) And it was like, all right, I I just can't do any more school. I got to go in the world. But it was a self-funding experience. And when I was out of school, I only had to earn enough money to keep myself alive. Yeah. $300 a month rent, which my part, how much I had to pay for our three-person apartment, and lentils and rice. And I'm mm-hmm. done. Right. So that's not a heck of a lot of money to have to earn. And I had skills. I went to film school. I could do video editing. So I would go in two or three days a week and edit fashion videos and haircutting videos for these LA fashion companies and the rest of the time just bang out articles for free for magazines that didn't pay and zines and you know it gave me time if i had come out of school with $200,000 debt or a kid or a, a a parent to you know to to take care of or a a restaurant to busboy at um who knows i wouldn't have had those two or three years to be available to mm-hmm. what was what was happening. So I, I made probably what most people would consider a completely insane decision. I was like, you know what? I'll just delay paying off the student loan debt to hell with it. I already know where that corporate path ends. I was like, if I even I was like, this is basically going to be me working jobs. I mean, I get fired from the rest of my life to keep trying to service this debt. Uh, so, you know, I, I think this is actually almost a perfect segue to start talking about your work. And I didn't necessarily want to start with education in particular, but um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, having read your books, uh, my sense is that, you know, I've read Present Shock, I've read Team Human, that you are really interested in the relationship between human beings and technology and how it shapes our lives. That seems to be the thread yeah. in your work. I mean, I would guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it goes, uh, uh, it's probably more about, you know, like mediating technologies mm -hmm. than tech, yeah. you know, it, itself. So if I really think about it, I mean, I don't really know that much about like the steam engine and, uh, you know what I mean? Like how tech itself or the invention of the wheel and mm -hmm. the cart and then, you know, the horse and buggy or the chariot. I mean, and it's all interesting, but I do know a whole lot more about, say, the invention of speech mm -hmm. or text or the printing press and the radio and television. And so I, I, it would be kind of limited. So it would probably be a little bit more human beings and their communications media okay. than humans and uh, technology. Yeah, than technology itself. Although tech and tech and media, they're they're intertwined. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. hard hard yeah. to quite tell the difference between I, them. But yeah, that's definitely the common thread. And then looking at you know are, are they when when does a medium get to the point where we forget that it's a medium that it naturalizes itself, mm -hmm. and that that when that medium naturalizes it, itself, its affordances get naturalized as well. Yeah. So when central currency is a medium and when it naturalized itself to the point that people think that central currency just is money mm -hmm. rather than a kind of money, what does that mean? It means we accept living in a debt-based economy. It means we accept the concept of employment and working for people. And you know what I mean? It, 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 it means we accept the idea that a nation is what creates the money. It's, it's mm -hmm. just, it's a weird a, 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 an amount of stuff, you know, and and mm -hmm. so yeah. From the time I was little, and this is why when you said when did you start? When I started on this path was when I was watching um, a Mary Tyler Moore show as a little kid, and Mary Tyler Moore she moved from one apartment to the other, and when she moved from one apartment to the other, the door on the set moved from one side of something to the other, something like that. It was like. The set changed, and it changed the the timbre of the show. And I got to this weird place where I was thinking about the difference between sitcoms, where the doors on the right of the screen and the doors on the left of the screen, and how this makes this kind of profound change in the way they're perceived, and whether they're right right wing values or left wing values, or establishment or anti establishment, divorced or not divorced. And I started to sort of analyze all that, and I was like, oh. I've gone to some strange place. I mean, it was before I was a kid. I hadn't done any drugs, but mm -hmm. it was like, all right, I'm no longer watching television. I'm now watching the television. You know, I've gone meta on TV. And what is that? And and where else can I go meta on things? And what is the value of going meta, of doing these sort of lateral comparisons and pattern recognition? And mm -hmm. so then I've just, I've gravitated towards spaces where, this pattern recognition is somehow valuable. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a, a perfect segue into talking about Team Human. And, and uh, it's funny because I thought I would want to do this in linear order. But now that I have you know your highlights in front of me, I think this was one of the quotes that really struck me. And I never thought about it this way. You said, television was widely credited as the single biggest contributor to desocialization of the American landscape, the decline of national clubs and community groups, and a sense of isolation plaguing people until the Internet. Right, uh, playing the suburban frontier that is until the internet, and I, I thought that was such an interesting comment, particularly because the internet has made it possible for people like you and I to have this conversation. Uh, it's made both of our careers possible, and so I wonder: uh, one, just you know, can you expand on that? I mean, that that sounds like we're in a real mess, like we're on the verge of a crisis here. We're not on the verge of a crisis. We're we in a crisis. In, yeah. I mean, honestly, whatever you think right wing or left wing or or populist or not, look at our political landscape. Look at our presidency. Look what we've 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 elected we haven't only elected a reality TV producer to be our president, but we've asked for our reality to be 
um, constructed for us in the manner of reality television. Yeah. In other words, we don't care what's going on in the real world anymore. Just cut it together to tell the story that I'd like to be told. And you can do that with The Bachelorette, you know, or something, but you can't do that with the real world. There's there's pain and suffering and stuff, you know, but that's where we're at. So, yeah, it it yeah. it's a big deal. And it's funny because the kind of stuff we used to be upset about, you know, when television was taking over about, you know, it was it was you know, kind of locking down the American dream or promoting consumerist values or the selfishness of McDonald's commercials and you, you're the one. And, you know, that that was what we were concerned about. Um, That now we're no longer concerned about people's selfishness so much as their very coherence, Mm -hmm. you know, their ability to maintain a thought over more than five seconds at a time. (laughs) And then what does that mean if someone can't think out a thought for more than five seconds. You know, what does it mean if people are going to be operating from the amygdala, from the reptilian brainstem, mm-hmm. you know, for a majority of the day? Does Is democracy possible in that kind of environment? And it's probably yeah. not. So then what do we do? How do we replace democracy? And what do we replace it with? Or do we try to recover, you know, from that and 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 educate people so they can think again and how do we engender compassion and uh, uh, some long-term thinking? It, these are these are real issues. I mean, not, I mean, the way the internet did it. Now we all we all know this. You know, we all know that that our social media feeds are embedded with the addictive algorithms of Las Vegas slot machines. That mm-hmm. you know that there's entire departments at Stanford University dedicated to things like captology, which is you know how to um, make technologies that uh, influence human behavior in particular ways? How do you get people to do stuff mm-hmm. by flashing screens at them in certain ways? Um, you know, we're there. Um, so, you know, we, you know, television may have been the backdrop for an influential form of 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 advertising, but the internet is the is the manipulation itself it's you know we're entering into programs that are optimized to you know to do nothing other than change our behavior Uh and extract our value that's you know that's a weird place we've come to hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the things you've said is we live in a bounty of communication technologies at our disposal. Uh, our culture is composed more of meditated experiences than of directly lived ones, yet we are also more alone mediated. and atomized yeah. than, oh, mediated uh, experiences than directly lived ones, yet we are also more alone and atomized than ever. Our most advanced technologies are not enhancing our connectivity, but thwarting it. And, and this really struck me because, uh, you know, when Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism, came out the month before I decided to test his theory and say, you know what, I'm going to take all of January off of social media. One of my friends uh, met me for dinner and he said, you seem a lot happier. Uh, and I said, you know, I said, I, I was trying to figure out what the pattern was. And I, I'd even looked over, you know, the last year of my life. And I realized, uh, because of the fact that my sister was getting married in February, I was spending a lot of time with my family and most of my interactions with people were taking place in person. And I, I started, and this is something that I actually genuinely, I'm going to use the gyroscope app, ironically, to measure, you know, what are my mood scores on the days when I have human contact versus on the days that um, I'm spending more time isolated. So I, I wonder, so, so you know, we, we, this is just so normal for us. I mean, if you have billions of users using Facebook every day. Is there a way out of this mess? Yeah. I mean, sure there is. There's always a way, you know. Will we find it? Probably not. <laughs> but the way, yeah, is is to to stop. You know, it it's. I mean, to start. I mean, you know, do what the what the 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 Jews of the desert did. You know, give yourself a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You know, start with you know one day a week where you don't use any of this stuff. I mean, and then if that's really really hard. Figure out a way to build, uh, 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 to build your life, even if you have to build your whole life around the idea that there's going to be one day a week that you're not using these technologies. And that's going to be interesting too. So even if you like, whatever, you Tinder for everyone that you meet, so you're going to have to Tinder on Friday for mm -hmm. the person that you get to see on Saturday, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and whatever you do on Saturday, it's going to be stuff that you're going to be okay with. If you don't make Instagram pictures of it, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> what, what, is there something worth doing that, you know, if it's not going to have uh, an Instagram thing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, hopefully, but, but it does, it does kind of change things. I mean, if you take it to the extreme and you decide, look, I'm not even going to get in a car on, on, this one day off a week. I'm just going to go to places that are that are walking distance. Um, you're going to start finding out things about your neighborhood that you might not have known, you know, or, or realized for a long time. There's nowhere to walk to. That the parks are gone. That you know they they put up a parking lot. Hey, um, and and that could then make you decide. Well, now I want to be on my local uh, zoning board mm -hmm. and get my neighborhood zone for parks and good things rather than just more of this crap. So I think that that taking a little bit of time, uh, 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 whether it's every day, one seventh of your day, one seventh of your week, one seventh of your month, um, for a sabbatical where you can uh, uh, extract yourself from this uh, uh, manufactured landscape, mm 
yeah. and experience the real one, um, it does it 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 brings back coherence and it helps you recalibrate. You know, the the technologies we're using are designed to decalibrate us because if you're unsettled and decalibrated, you're easier to manipulate. You know, what if you spend time with real people and look in their eyes and sit around, you get recalibrated and then everything changes. So yeah, it's still possible. You know, people could decide they don't want to eat meat anymore and they only want to have one kid instead of three. Um, That would be enough to turn around climate change. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I it's funny to, to to hear you talk about this, and it's interesting because I think we share a lot of viewpoints. Like, I I started to see that. Wait a minute, we're living in an illusion of reality. Uh, I said we're we're literally making our assumptions about people's lives based on one twenty fourth of who they are. It's like this is the version of me that I've uploaded to the internet, and I'm like, wow, we are already living in the matrix. Yeah, and it was weird. I I met this woman at a uh, a Team Human Live event, and she's been doing all this. She was like a dancer, but also she went to like Columbia and got like a PhD in neuro something or other, you know, brain, body, and all that. Um, super educated, and she has done all this research into figuring out what's happening to people's brains who are using these things, and she feels like now she has the knowledge to really inform people in a real way about. Um, and to be to be something of an expert in this, but she has zero online social uh, social media footprint. Mm-hmm. You can't Google her. So if you can't Google her, she can't get work. She can't. In other words, we've she's here to tell us why we have to get off the net. But if she's not on the net, she can't reach any of us. Uh. And that's a weird that's a weird place. You know, to have gotten, you can't even get a book contract now if you don't have oh, yeah. an online following, a blog or something. Absolutely. I mean, I just wrote, a, I published a post today called What It Takes to Go from Blog to Book Deal in 2019. And like a massive section of it was about the importance of your platform. Right. Because you're no longer, I mean, this is the thing, it's the same in music. You're no longer selling your book to the publisher, you're selling your audience mm-hmm. to the publisher. And that's, Weird. It's really hard. I mean, wow. they're still they'll still discover. Like, if you are and and I gotta. I mean, it's a, it's a racist business, but if you are a you know a beautiful young you know Pakistani woman survivor of a refugee camp writing novels about you know beauty or something, um, then you could be you know quote unquote discovered. Mm-hmm. by some well-meaning New York agent, you know, and gets you on a great virtue tour, you know, through all the bookstores. But, you know, barring that, you got to have a pre-made audience. You yeah. can't just be talented. You can't just write a great novel. You need a story uh, uh, other than the one in your book mm-hmm. to get to get out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's a whole landmine in of itself, uh, which... Actually, come to think of it, so one of the things that has has amazed me about the internet is that I believe in a lot of ways that it has democratized creativity. Um, We can go from idea to execution faster than any other time in history. You know, like when you and I were in college, you used to take hundreds of you know dollars and thousands of hours to do something as simple as build a website. But with that also came this just completely fragmented uh, media landscape. And so I wonder, uh, you know, for aspiring creatives, how they navigate that dynamic. Because I, I was thinking about this. I was like, wow, I, I, you know, even starting in 2009, I feel that I had a significant advantage over anybody who would be starting today. Yeah. With nothing. Yeah. I mean, I had an audience of zero. I really did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I look at me. I mean, I made it, I just made it under the wire, you know, selling a book in 1990, 91, before the net happened, I could, I wrote a 15 page book proposal that was mailed to a bunch of editors. I had no audience. I had nothing. What I had. And at the time, this is all you needed. What I had was a beat that nobody else had. Mm -hmm. You know, I discovered the, well, I mean, I knew about computers since the seventies, you know, playing with them in school, but I kind of discovered the 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 emerging internet culture of San Francisco and the Bay Area. I was the first New Yorker out there, the first New Yorker to to see you know rave dances and fractals and chaos math and psychedelics and the internet and fantasy role playing as all part of the same 
cultural phenomenon, you know, that something was coming, something was happening, uh, that, that the internet was going to be popularized. So that was, you know, I was the first person to write articles about that and the first person to hit the, the publishers with a proposal that said, this thing is coming. I'm calling it Siberia. And it's this weird hyperspatial, you know, understanding of reality. And that was enough. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's almost impossible to have a beat like that. I mean, I guess someone could say, okay, I'm the first journalist to really cover Twitch mm-hmm. culture and professional gaming. And I let me write the book on the pro gaming scene or something, you know, maybe, but what they'd want to see is, Oh, are you the preeminent blogger of the, you know, yeah. of the gaming scene? Are you, you know, there, it's like, Everything in, in a weird way, everything has to be proven because the internet can prove something mm-hmm. so quickly. Yep. If the internet hasn't proven it, then no one's really interested in it. Yeah. I mean, I got my book deal because I had a self published book that just went freakishly successful for some strange reason because Glenn Beck happened to find it and liked it. Like, I don't uh, think I would have gotten my book deal without that. Are uh, you happy or sad that Glenn Beck liked it? You know, here's, here's what I, I, I will say about this. Um, I figured, okay, if this guy found it, Clearly, we must agree on something if he likes these ideas. And in my mind, I'm willing to engage a dialogue with somebody like that. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, is it weird? We have next to nothing in common. I went to Berkeley, like, I mean, and you know what you know about Glenn. Uh, but what's interesting is that when I've, I've talked to people who worked for him in the past, and uh, I mean, you know, some people don't know that Glenn, Glenn had a, a gay black guy who was on his staff. Um uh, and numerous, you know, people that you would never expect to be working with Glenn Beck. And, you know, the common comment was this guy is the most misunderstood man in the world. And in my mind, uh, we had at least common ground somewhere. So it was worth having that conversation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I got, um, I did that piece. Uh, this year, uh, survival of the fittest or survival of the richest. Is that the, I, that was where I wanted to go next? Uh, yeah, about these billionaires yeah. who uh, 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 wanted advice on their fallout shelters. Yeah. And, and of all people, Rush Limbaugh. If you don't know him, he's this kind of fat guy right. who does all this mean stuff about about uh, the right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, from the right, I guess. Um, very famous, yeah. like Glenn Beck size. Totally. And he read the whole piece. Yep. And did a 45-minute segment about it. Uh-huh. And he loved the piece. I mean, because he felt like what I had done was revealed that the sort of liberal tech billionaires are uh, uh, all kind of, you know, prepper, survivalist, selfish people who want to leave the rest of us behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is true, but I don't see them as progressive leftists. Yeah. You know, I, I think any tech billionaire that really wants to just build a shelter to leave the rest of humanity behind. That's not a progressive value. That's, that's the opposite. But I guess that was part of his point that, you know, some of them probably call themselves progressives or enlightened, even though they've got these weird safety plans to, to, get rid of the rest of us. Yeah, so let's talk about those safety plans because that was literally going to be my my very next question. You kind of read my mind and you know, I, you had this quote about money which you said it was originally invented to store value and enable transactions. Money was the medium for the marketplace's primary function of value exchange. Money was the ground and marketplace was the figure. Today the dynamic is reversed. The acquisition of money itself has become the central goal. So are you telling me that people like Zuckerberg um, and Larry Ellison, whatever, are basically just saying, you know what, we're going to protect our money? Because I, I think there's one other thing that was really interesting in that article. It, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole idea of what happens when our money becomes worthless. Right. Um, a few things. I mean, first, the billionaires that I got to talk with um, – were not Bezos, Zuckerberg level billionaires. Mm-hmm. These were yeah. mid level billionaires, <laughs> and they're in a very different place. You know, it's like Elon Musk can build a rocket ship. Yeah, a mid level billionaire can hope for a seat on one of those rocket ships, but they don't have the means or you know the wherewithal to actually build the rocket. They can't build the Mars colony. So the mid level billionaires can't do the full-on escape. They can't do 
the the Ray Kurzweil upload my brain into the you know mainframe that Google is building for me. Mm-hmm. They they don't have that. You know, Eric Schmidt gets that. Yeah, the mid level billionaires they can get a, a you know a two or three billion dollar shelter. You know, I mean they can they can. There's some solutions for them. They can try to create a defensible eco farm with a force field and some, you know, uh, uh, early stage RoboCop prototype guards, you know, or, or, but, but they're more, because they're realists, they're looking more at, well, what do we have now that I could do? What do, what do we have? Uh, what current technologies do we have? For me to to create, you know, indoor agriculture, I'm going to need some kind of sealed environment in case it's radioactive out there. I'm going to need, you know, so they're looking sort of realistically at the most probable uh, social and and environmental crises. Mm-hmm. You know what what in that meeting we started to call it the event. Yeah. Right? Whether it's the electromagnetic pulse or you know the social unrest or the climate change or the market crash that leads to whatever. It's not a true zombie apocalypse, right? You don't prepare for zombies because that's just fiction. But you could prepare for, you know, the collapse of all the nation states and hundreds of millions of people running around with diseases, but, but not totally dead trying to get your stuff. So how do you protect yourself and your, you know, 12 loved ones Mm -hmm. in that situation? Yeah. So one, uh, is the way that we are currently operating even sustainable? Like, is this current crisis sustainable or is it going to lead us to a dark place? And, I think that it seems to me that people are very much uh, operating from a place of self-interest, at least the people that you're you're talking about, uh, without thinking about the greater good. Yeah, it's funny, you know. Um, it's not funny, but it's it's interesting that people tend to look at the coming crisis from the perspective of almost like a middle-aged person accepting their personal demise. You know, and saying, okay, well, you know, individuals die, so maybe species too die. And as as if it's almost this kind of weird boomer thing. Not that I mean, I know we all pick on the boomers, but it's you know, the boomers are so dominant in our cultural narrative that I feel like now that the boomers are aware of their own closing window, you know, that they're aware that they're gonna die soon um they can't tolerate that it's almost as if well society has to die along with me it's that ayn rand thing when they asked her um if she was like afraid of death and she said you know i'm not gonna die everyone else everything else will die in other words because she was so committed to her own self as source of everything that she saw her own death as the world disappearing, but her continuing, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because she's everything. Um, so I feel there's a, there's a little bit of that. And then those people in the tents are going to have to do something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're going to come at, they're going to come at the middle class, you know, they're going to come at, or the upper middle class, whatever it is, they're going to come at whatever our, our society's version of the Jews is and it may not be the Jews this time. It it could be some other representation of whatever's between them and the point one percent. You know, because the point one percent, those guys, they no one ever gets them. I mean, not ever. I mean, I guess you know, French Revolution happens and you grab them, but that's what they're really looking at: is how do we not be the ones who get whacked yeah. um, this time out? So a lot of parents listen to this show. Uh, oh, now they're going to be all upset. No, no. I, 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 we've upset them. I, well, no, I, no, I, I, you. I, actually, I don't want to upset people. <laughs> it's all going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Well, a lot of kids listen to this show as well. So I, I wonder. Oh, no. no, the children. Yeah. Now they're going to be disappointed. And children. So what would you tell them? Like, what would you tell parents to advise their children? Like, what advice would you give to parents about what they should share with their children? 
Uh, oh, because- play a, I'd say play a, a, a YouTube video of, of Greta from from uh, uh, Sweden. Mm. You know the 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 girl who's who's one of the the you know poster children of the Extinction Rebellion. Mm. You know, I would say uh, uh, you know what you can what you can look at is global. You know, look at the global climate change movement and how it understands that there are economic and cultural elements to, you know, to uh, arresting the climate change problem, that you can't just attack this one, this one issue. It's a very uh, uh, adult and comprehensive understanding of, of cultural and environmental change. Mm. And I would say then, and act as locally as you can and accept that having powerful local influence is enough, that not everyone and everything has to scale, that, you know, this whole podcasty thing even is like, it's pretty in its way, but I mean, I'm thinking to stop just to not crowd the space, but the the goal that you have to do something that the whole world is going to see um, is a false goal. You know, everyone might see your YouTube, but that doesn't have the same effect as 20 people where you live, you know, being affected by something you've done, you know, teaching uh, literacy in your community or cleaning up a local stream or getting your your town uh, a local currency or eliminating plastic bags from local retail. And these are real things that make real differences, helping people um, give up red meat. Um, there, there are so many... There's so many terrifically constructive things you could do where you are, and the reward you get will be local, real-time, face-to-face feedback, which actually feeds you more on an organismic level than a million likes Mm -hmm. on your YouTube. One person looking at you with their irises opening and their breathing syncing up to yours releases more oxytocin than a million new followers on Instagram. Wow. It's funny you say that because um, I picked up this habit from, I'm sure I probably heard it from somebody who told me this in an interview. So one thing I'll do every week or every other week is I will go into Starbucks, I'll give the guy a 20, I'll get my coffee and say, can you take that rest of that and pay for anybody else who's here uh, who comes after me? And that it's one of the most interesting you know things that happens every week because I meet people, uh, you know, we chat and they're always stunned by this. And, you know, I, I always say, okay, well, one thing is on some level, this is kind of selfish because I've read about how this tends to come back. But now I see that there is even, it is selfish in, in another way too, because I'm getting what you're talking about from it. But does that's not bad. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but there's another self part of this is that I know I've read in book after book that, you know, when you are generous, that generosity tends to multiply in terms of what comes back to you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a business argument I tried to make in Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, yeah. where I, I was making the argument on why you want to make your customers and suppliers wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, that the more wealth there is in the market where you're trying to operate, the more money there is for people to spend with you. You know, that squeezing your customers and your suppliers to the point where they're uncomfortable is not a great long-term strategy for your business. And you'll actually make more money in the long run if they are happy and wealthy than if they are poor and teetering on the edge. Mm. You know, And that's the same in the world, that if you're in a town of happy people, you're going to have a happier life than if you're in a town of, of sad people. So, you know, make them happy. You know, it, it, it's, these are pretty simple principles and they're not, they don't depend on, even on a new age spiritual understanding of karmic energetic retribution. Mm-hmm. You know, you can use your good old, you know, good old uh, free market uh, understandings of the world and and you'll get to the same conclusion. Yeah. So I think the the one sort of last area that I would like to to ask you about is is artificial intelligence. Uh, okay. I, yeah, and we got to do it soon. Yeah. I'm just asking my two thirty to postpone okay. no a little bit. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I know that I've been excited by this. There have been a lot of really cool tools that are making you know things easier and faster for me. But I'm I'm also watching that that this is also going to displace a lot of people. Uh, 
And so I wonder, you know, based on your perspective and your experience, how do you how do you navigate that just messy uh, dynamic? I don't see AI displacing people. I see AI displacing uh, certain jobs. Yeah. And there's a real difference. You know, people don't need jobs. Those are jobs. I mean, jobs are an invention of the late Middle Ages. You know, people used to create value and trade stuff, and they did as much as they needed to survive. There was subsistence. And I don't mean subsistence in the sense of being poor. I mean, the idea that the point of work was to accomplish something. You know, right now, the point of work is earn money so that you can they can justify letting you share in the spoils. Um, so the fact that, that, you know, that, that machines take some jobs doesn't have to displace any human being Mm. from something. All it does is, 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 uh, uh, it can absorb some of the labor if we're even honest about it. If we don't look at, you know, using robots just as a way to externalize the actual labor to some slave somewhere else who are building the robots or digging up the mines or living with the pollution of the discarded radioactive robot debris. You know, so, so far I have not yet seen one of these new kinds of technologies that's actually more efficient um, at doing things than much more old fashioned uh, uh, ways of operating. Wow. Um, Well, I have, one final question for you. I know you got to get going. And uh, this is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable? Um, clarity. Clarity of purpose. Mm. Wow. You know what I mean? If you're yeah. using the word unmistakable, no one's going to make a mistake if you're clear. You know, And if they are making mistakes about 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 you, then get more clear. (laughs) Amazing. Well, this has been really, really eye-opening and thought-provoking and kind of a mindfuck of epic proportions. Oh, good. uh, Which I'm sure our listeners will absolutely love. Where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, the book, and everything else that you're up to? I mean, go to teamhuman.fm. You know, Team Human's easy to remember. Teamhuman.fm. It's a podcast, and you can find out about the book and all sorts of things there. Awesome. So it'll be fun. Perfect. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, sharing your story, your insights with others. This has been amazing. Thanks. All right. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration 
into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.